After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Sam uh, with us here who's hosting his uh, happy hour tonight. You could be a part of happy hour with James and the rest of the Kings Beat crew uh, by becoming a premium subscriber over to kingsbeat.com. Head to the kingsbeat.com right now and check that out. Your partner on the Kings Beat podcast, one of them, uh, Brendan Nunez, joins us coming up here in about 15 minutes. What does fitting in look like for Davion, though? Because I'm looking at his game logs here, and I only have three, four, five, six, seven, eight games this year. Nine games this year where he shot eight or more times. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, I mean, I just went back and looked. This uh, So this season, he scored in double figures four times. Mm-hmm. Last year on the season, he scored in double figures 40 times. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're just, again, it's not my job to sugarcoat it or to make excuses for players or anything else. My job as a writer who covers a team is to point out things that that aren't going that are going well and aren't going well but like to be honest about it and like again it's it's not that he's regressed as a basketball player where like he he doesn't do the work he's one of the hardest workers that they have it's just he he's not figuring out how to make his game work within the confines of this specific offense and a lot of the time he does spend on the floor is with Domas, you know, and we're seeing everyone in the chatty house wants to rave about the Malik Monk and uh, Domanis Sabonis, like two man game that we saw last mm-hmm. night. And we've seen in previous games. Well, there's nothing that says that the Davion can't do those, that same thing. He, he just doesn't. And so like there, this offense is like, you can do a lot of things within the confines of this offense. It just feels like a lot of what he's doing is forced. And and I hope that, like, again, some light bulb goes on and he just figures it out. But there have been a lot of games this season where Malik Monk has not been great uh, offensively. And those are games where you expect someone else, like a Davion, to step in and have better a better productive night. And he just hasn't been able to do it for whatever reason. Do you think they look to him on the offensive end? No, but I mean, do they look to Trey Lyles? And how many games have we seen this season where mm-hmm. Trey Lyles just really hasn't a really, really good night? Uh, do, do do they look to Chemezi Metu? I, I think Chemezi Metu lost a lot of people last night in the game when um, oh. he, yeah, like he started yeah. shooting threes again, and that's like a oh boy moment. But also the um, the fouls, like, he, the he, fouls, like yeah. w- that's like literally the one thing that Mike Brown said yep. he does not want to have happen is that you put a guy in. And he picks up two or three fouls in a couple of minutes. And then he sets you up to be in the, the penalty the rest of the quarter. And that's exactly what Shemezi did. It was like, man. And then he got called for two and then he kept doing it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that what's was happening. That was a last what is night. Happening? That was a <laughs> Shemezi. Shemezi had a rough night last night. That he did. was, he, he had did. a, he had a really tough stretch. It's hard, like, it's hard to really figure out. Like, it's, again, you know, the way Malik was playing last night, it's not, like, the most proper way to 
kind of analyze the bench, though. You mentioned Trey Lyles, and, you know, I don't know what they expect Trey Lyles to do. I imagine uh, in practice his job is, hey, hit the open shot, buddy. Uh, and he has been incredibly consistent with that. He's only He only got three shots last night, uh, but he hit two of them, uh, and he was the second high, highest-scoring bench player with five. Uh, but again, it was Malik Monk who carried that load for that second unit, and then ultimately Malik bled in with the starter scoring 22 last night. Just a yeah. weird game to, to, to make heads or tails of in terms of everybody else's performance when you've got uh, 65 from your two likely all-stars and you throw in Malik's 22 with that. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know how to fix all of the the woes that happen with this Kings team, but I do know that we talked about it early in the season, who would be the third leading scorer on this group. And we were willing to put Davion in that discussion as like one of the four or five guys that could average around 15 points a game. And like to have him be sort of a non-factor is really interesting. Like for me, like where he doesn't have games where he's one of those guys. Uh, and just few and far between. So, uh, but then again, I mean, Malik Monk's role is to go out there and shoot and score and and handle the ball and do whatever he wants. Um, it is hard, you know, for Davion to really make his mark in a game. And uh, but you're going to need him. You're going to need him down the stretch. Uh, you just know that, you know, Fox can't play 40 minutes a night every single night, and he certainly is going to wear out if you're expecting him to play 35, 36 for you know, 75, 78 games. Uh, so you're going to need more from some of these guys uh, than what you're getting right now. I can't lie. I had to look. I wasn't 100% certain who the second leading score, uh, third leading scorer was. Um, it, it's it's Harrison Barnes, barely. He averages 15.2. Uh, Kevin Herter averages 15.1. Uh, of course, Domas averages 18.8 points per game, and then De'Aaron Fox with 24.3. Uh, but they've got six guys averaging in double figures when you count Malik Monk and and and, and Keegan Murray as well. Uh, Keegan just had one. Of, and Trey Lyles now is up to 7.2 points per game. Man, Trey Lyles has just turned into this super reliable player that you – hey, you know – who. Who, who could fill this role? Who could do this? Who could do this? Meanwhile, Trey Lyles just out there performing every night. I don't think we got a chance to talk about this. Trey Lyles, we saw, you know, kind of run small in that Minnesota game. We saw Mike Brown run with Trey Lyles in kind of a smaller unit. Do you think, can, can Trey be that elusive backup five that we've talked about so often here? Yeah, I mean, it's going to depend on the night. Some nights you go up against a team with just a bunch of bigs. You know, I don't like Trey Lyles against, you know, Steven Adams or, or you know, oh, yeah. uh, Jokic. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that you're kind of like, eh, it's going to be a tough matchup. I mean, he's he's probably 6'8". I don't know what he's listed at, 6'8", 6'9", but he's, he's more like, you know, a fringe 6'8". Uh, but he's a big, heavy, uh, like, like thick guy. Like he's, um, I, I, he's done a ton of work on his body this off season, but listed as six, nine, two thirty four. Yeah. I don't buy the six, nine, um, <laughs> the two thirty four though. I mean, that's, he's slimmed down considerably. Um, uh, but he's one of those guys that like broad shoulders. Like when he goes in for a rebound, he clears out space. He does know how to set a screen. He does know how to do, uh, like just about everything on the court. He's even shown some athleticism that I don't think we thought he had. 
I like him. I, I, I would try, especially in like, if you're getting into the playoffs, you're going to shrink the rotation down even further. It's going to be like seven, eight man rotation. I would be surprised if Trey Lyles wasn't one of those players, you know, as long as he's on the team and need, they don't need him uh, at the trade deadline to go make some move. But I, I, I really like what he's done. Oh, I think yeah, he's over Trey Lyles. Well, it's about the contract and the fact that he's a unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. No. <laughs> moving trailer out like none of the players that we've talked about yeah none of the players that we've talked about are are, are worth trading trail Lyles for um yeah i mean i'm not 100 on board with that statement but like there are some players that i would think would make a lot of sense but i, I will say that there are a lot of other players on this roster you will trade before you get to trail Lyles uh, 2.6 million dollar expiring yeah, because okay. you look at like kaziak paul at 1.9 uh, Chemezia met, met to at 1.9. Delavadova only counts like 1.9 million. Um, we, we start looking at guys that are in the same ballpark. And if you're making like low level deals uh, for guys that are making and you know, 4.2 to 4.5 million, um, like there are a lot of ways to get those deals done with some of the other players, whether it's Alex Len or, or Terrence Davis, like, I, I, again, I really like Trey Lyles. I wouldn't trade Trey Lyles. I'd actually like it if Trey Lyles stuck around for a little bit longer uh, after this year. Um, but I, I definitely understand that Like, if they have to make some move, you're not going to say no to a really good deal because Trey Lyles is involved. No, I, I, I got you. I'll say this about the trade deadline, and obviously we'll, we'll talk a lot about trades over the next seven days. But Monty McNair has done a hell of a job at this point. I trust whatever is on the horizon for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, I trust he's going to do what's best uh, to continue to make this team better. And I trust that Brendan Nunez is going to make this show better. He's going to join us when we return here on Sacramento Sports Leader ESPN 1320. D-Lo and KC continues streaming live on the Odyssey app. Live on the Odyssey app, Twitch, YouTube, wherever you are, uh, ESPN 1320, 98.5 FM HD2. We appreciate you so much uh, for being with us. Uh, we appreciate Brendan Nunez for being with us as well. James is your partner over on the Kings Beat. He's running Sacramento Sports Radio today. Uh, Brendan, we're, we're, we're thrilled that you're here. And, man, we'll just bring you into these cut. Let's, let's act- I'd actually like to pick up where we just left off. Uh, James, if you don't mind, Brendan, we'll just bring you right into this conversation we've been having about Davion Mitchell. Um, are you happy with the way Davion has played this year? Has he become expendable to like, wh- where, where are you at with Davion Mitchell right now? I don't feel great about Davion Mitchell and feel bad when these conversations come up because I feel like I'm bashing on him, but I don't think that he's been great. Um, obviously defensively, he brings the same thing all the time, right? Definition of a dog, his impact. And I think um, heart can be infectious at times. You're a little limited when you're six foot at what your defensive impact can be. But when it comes to guards, ones and two guards, he's phenomenal there. Offensively is where some of my concerns start to pop up. I, I think that so much of Sacramento's offense is about flow and staying within rhythm and ball movement. And I think he's one of the biggest culprits of kind of stalling that at times. 
the impression I get is that just from what we saw at the end of last year when he looked best is when he, it was when he was getting to get a handful of dribbles in each possession and kind of get a rhythm. And sometimes that's hard to do when you're not able to take those same dribbles. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that of all guys on the team shooting at least one wide open three, meaning no defender within six feet of them, Davion has the worst percentage at 32. Second worst is Domas at 34. And then after that, everybody is above 36. You got to be able to hit your wide open threes if you want minutes alongside De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis. Yeah, Brendan, like, do you think, like, because we talked about this, do you think we're too harsh on him? Like, he is a young player, and, you know, like, expectations, roles, everything has kind of changed for him. And, like, how do you judge that part of it? Because it's not like he's out there getting, like, the volume of shots that Malik Monk is getting. I think that it's just going to depend how, like, progress goes into next year. Because as of right now, like... I think maybe expectations were a little too high for him coming into the year after what the end of last season was. Because, again, that that context is just unrealistic. When he's getting to run 20, 30 pick and rolls a game with, with Damian Jones, both of those guys looked phenomenal. And look at where Damian Jones is now. Like, I, I think that maybe expectations got a little bit too unrealistic. Um, but, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest context for him, but also maybe he can continue to adjust to it. So um, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm sometimes I, I, I feel bad, but I don't necessarily feel too harsh. If that makes sense. James is lumping in the we. He it's him. Like James is really hard on. I, I'm guilty too. Very King, King Kingsbeat.com home of the, the Davion <laughs> haters. You know what? You, you, you talked about expectation. You know what mine was? Mine was growth. That was my expectation for Davion was 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 growth this season, and I thought he's going to be significantly more stable under Mike Brown. And I don't. Maybe the growth isn't just. It's just not there on the offensive end. Maybe it is there on the defensive end. Maybe it's not there as a complete player. I mean, this is only like he's only a second year player. Um, I, but Davion is just one of those guys where I feel like he's really difficult to measure. Like you have to watch him specifically really closely because you can't like turn your eyes away and then look at the box score and go, "Oh, Davion, you know, was one of three or something like that." That's just not his game. You have to pay attention to him when you watch him on a broadcast. But e- even at that, I still don't feel like that growth—at least the growth that I was hoping for—I don't feel like that's been there this year. I think Meg makes a good point in the chat that something important to acknowledge. He plays like four minute stints Mm. and maybe that's not the exact number, but his, the amount of times that he's out there, hardly out there at all. And then gets pulled right back because that's the minutes that De'Aaron is resting. And that's typically the only time he's playing. That could be really tough for a guy, especially somebody that I think is used to getting a handful of dribbles and, and kind of able to get into a rhythm, similarly to what we're seeing with Rashawn. Like, I think that's another guy that if he can get in a rhythm, he looks more comfortable in short stints. Maybe that's more difficult, and, and some players are better at that than others. Um, so I think that's something that stands out. I think that, obviously, his impact goes beyond the box score, but I think the biggest thing you can see in the box score is just how many minutes did he play that night? Because if he's having the defensive impact that he's capable of having and still being passable on the offensive end, 
Coach Brown is going to keep him out there. This is the exact type of player that Coach Brown should be in love with. But sometimes the offense um, just has its shortcomings. But there's nights where he's playing. That, that game against Cleveland on the road where they shut Cleveland out at the end of the game, 32 minutes for Davion. He played great in that one. Like There are days where Davion will get a lot of playing time because he is fitting in on offense and still having his defensive impact. Um, but there's other nights where coach goes in other directions. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. Uh, Meg in the chat is just killing it. She she makes a lot of uh, like really strong points. Like he's a sophomore player, age is irrelevant. Uh, development is not linear. I agree, but at the same time, we're talking about a 24 year old that like his uh, his development if it does stall out like this, like he goes from a number nine pick in the draft to like a toss in on a trade like relatively quick if we're looking at like this time next year and we haven't seen some sort of measured improvement um for me i, I think one of the biggest issues that i have is that he just doesn't seem to fit and like i'll bring it back to you know another like pint-sized guy that the kings have had in the past and isaiah thomas and like they're clearly polar opposites as far as like their play style but it's almost like for davion to be successful he needs to be the point guard, the guy running everything it's for him to be successful offensively. Now, defensively, he could be successful, but I always felt like that was the problem with Isaiah. It's not that Isaiah can't still get a bucket because I still think that he can. It's that in order for him to work and be maximized, you have to kind of just hand everything over to him and just say, okay, it's your team. Go ahead and do what you're going to do. And Davion's not going to get that opportunity. I, I don't think ever. So like he has to he has to be the one that changes, not the other way around, in, in my opinion, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that the just three point shooting is the biggest, most obvious one that I think would help him get more playing time. And with how much everybody talks up how much of a hard worker he is, I think this is a great case study of like how much does that come to fruition for some of these guys. Like we heard the same thing about Buddy Heald, right? Buddy Heald still has a lot of shortcomings. Um, and so I, I just think if he can start to hit Davion Mitchell, that is uh, more open threes that you could find more minutes for him because defensively he does have a great impact, albeit a bit limited being, you know, I think around six foot, like I see him listed at six two, like James, would you say he's six two is kind, right? Yeah, I mean that might be where his like his hair goes to. Right. On some nights, but no, he's not I don't think he's six two. Right. Like so I, I think if, if he can hit open threes, that that could be the easiest, like most obvious single improvement to get him more minutes. Um but defensively, you're gr he's great, but you know, can you even put him on threes at times as six foot? Like it, it's it's a little tough. Yeah, you get shot over quite a bit. Go ahead, Damian. Uh, Brennan, what do you think Mike and, and Monty and Wes Wilcox and this group are looking for over the next seven days as we head into the trade deadline? I think perimeter defense, for sure. Um, but I, I think more so just another guy that you can rely on. Because right now, I think there's about eight guys, sometimes nine, sometimes seven that you feel like you can comfortably roll out there and know what you're getting on a nightly basis with some wiggle room, of course, in production for each of those guys, especially as you get deeper down the bench. But like I've totally talked myself into like a Josh Richardson 
for example. I, I think just a guy that has been on a lot of good teams, uh, something James, Sean, and I talked about on the latest Kings beat, uh, but been on a lot of good teams can – it reminds me a lot of Dante DiVincenzo. Can, can do enough on the offensive end, hit open shots, put the ball on the ground, and be a connector when you need him to, and a good but not great pesky defender. Um, I, I think that Thibel and Baisley are interesting to me. There's times those guys are unplayable on offense at the same time. Um, but there's also times that you need those type of defenders. So um, I, I think more than anything, another guy that you can rely on, but I don't think they're in a position where they need to feel desperate. The only thing I would desperately be trying to do is find something with this $4 million TPE that expires on the seventh, because if you don't use it, then it just goes away for nothing. But outside of that, I don't think there's any need for like desperation or have to do X, Y, or Z. Are you comfortable if this is a team they roll out of the trade deadline with, like they don't make a move? Is that, do you think that that's okay with you? Or do you think like, look, your team has done enough to get you in position. You probably need to make that next step. You probably need to go add depth here and there, whether it's expiring contract guys that are just rentals or you're looking for like a much bigger fit. But it feels like there there are two ways that you can kind of go here. I'd be fine if it was nothing. I don't know if that's my preference, but like I think that would say a lot. I think it would speak to the confidence they have in this group. And I think they have every right to be confident in this group. Like, you know, Two games outside of um, two and a half games outside of the second seed is great. Also, of course, important to acknowledge four and a half games out of eleventh. And even if you just get down to the play-in, anything can happen at that point. So you'd like to solidify yourself more, but I, I just don't think that it's like one hundred percent necessary. That eleventh <laughs> is in in games wise, it doesn't feel like it's that far. Like that's this team has not played anything that resembles uh, an eleventh seed all year long. Um, I get all we could do is go by the numbers and we look at how cluttered this Western Conference is. And you know, James and I were talking about earlier, Brendan, with the the the, uh, the Timberwolves beating the Golden State Warriors last night. That dropped the Warriors a couple of spots and put the Timberwolves into the top six for the first time uh, in a handful of weeks here. I just can't look at this team that's currently eight games above 500 and be fearful of that 11 spot. Or really, at this point, I'm not even fearful of the play-in. Like, this team, to me, has been too good and too consistent uh, to fall back into that group. It would take something awful, in my opinion, and that's obviously an injury to one of the the, the, the main two uh, for them to wind up in that category. Yeah, and, and they've been ridiculously healthy, which I, I think is an underrated aspect of this season. Which is but, a wild sentence considering their all-star is playing with a broken hand. Right, right. But powering through, yep. um, I, I just will say, I mean, obviously it's injury-related, but I don't think the Pelicans thought they would be in the 10th seed at sure. any point this season. Yeah. No, no for They sure. lost nine straight. Like, yeah. I don't think they, they thought that they would be in this situation at all. But I think it speaks to, like, a, a larger question when it comes to the Kings. Like, we keep talking about, well, if they lose one of these guys, like, shouldn't that be something that you're addressing right now? Like, that's why, again, I've uh, I've pushed for Mason Plumley as a guy that I think fits the style of play. He's not going to be Sabonis if you lose Sabonis, but he can still step in and keep the, the action going. 
um, if you had an emergency, whether it be a week or two weeks or, you know, just a handful of games, like clearly if Sabonis goes out and he's done for the year, your season is pretty much cooked. But if you had a guy like this that you could withstand like a, an eight game stretch or a five game stretch, he can at least carry some of the load. And that's not something that I think that they have at this point. Like if we're talking about Rashawn Holmes or Chemezi Metu or moving Trey Lyles over, like it's going to get pretty bleak pretty quick. It does. Um, it, it's hard to like Mason Plumley is obviously a standout name. We've talked about a lot. I think Nas Reed's price seems to have gone up a lot as of late, although he's somebody that's interesting to me. Like is, is Kelly Olynyk a guy like I guess kind of intrigues me. I don't know if I'm crazy for this, but like if something happens to Domas and he's out for a little while, I don't hate Rashawn being the guy like we we've seen it a little. I think it was that game against the Lakers that he had a, a good performance. He had 16 and 11 in that game. Like I think was that the one Domas missed? Was that the one Domas was out? Yes. I, I think more than anything though, you just can't play the same style. And maybe that's not what the coaching staff wants, but it might be what's necessary if Domas isn't out there. I think it took the Kings time to figure that one out. It uh, they they had to adjust and play uh, a different way. Uh, Jason Anderson is reporting that De'Aaron Fox is out for Friday's game against the Indiana Pacers due to personal reasons. Well, I think we probably know what that means. Yeah, it's probably not too difficult to put one plus one together, but uh, that's not what's out there. So we'll just report what Jason Anderson just tweeted. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is out for Friday's game against the Indiana Pacers uh, due to personal reasons. So uh, best wishes to to De'Aaron and and the family, and hopefully that means what we all think that it means. Uh, sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Brendan. Obviously, that's a it's 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 a big deal right there. But I, I think with the Lakers game, it, it, they eventually adjusted to Rashawn, right? Like they, I think they tried to. To your point, I think they tried to play like 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 it was Domas out there, and then there was some point where I think they they called timeout. I don't remember if it was at the beginning of the second or the end of the first, and it, it was clear someone said, "Hey, this isn't working." And they started running some things that made a little bit more sense uh, for Rashawn Holmes. And, like, that's kind of how they adjusted. That's fine with Domas being out of game or potentially being out games. It's probably more difficult to do if you're putting Rashawn in and you're kind of switching up the whole game plan for, like, a couple minutes. Right. I, I think sort of similarly to just why we've seen there's a need for a backup center because Rashawn playing... 12, 15 minutes uh, just doesn't seem to have the same effect as him playing 25 on a night. Like I, I think that getting in a rhythm and a sense of confidence um, is obviously big for him. And th- there's, you know, I guess a handful of guys that are intriguing for that backup spinner spot, but I don't, I just don't know how many there really are. Like Plumlee's obviously the standout. I mentioned Olenek, I think fits that a little, uh, but how many really are there that like can, even try to replicate Domas's style. Obviously not his production, but his style of running through him, it, it's just, it, it's so unique. I mean, I don't know how many teams are surviving their best player going down. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like a, a lot of people are, make 
like in the in the chatty house you're throwing out names and stuff like myers leonard like the guy hasn't no. played in the league for a no. year and a half and just he no. also is, is counter to like what the king's culture that they're purporting to like hold sacred um that that's probably not going to happen uh, there are some players in the league outside of Mason Plumley that I think can they can help out and help allow you to still run some of the stuff you're doing. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's going to be really tough either way. Like e- either the Kings need to go all in and like add some some quality depth here, um, or they need to look at like how are you going to get through the rest of the season if you do have something major happen. And um, you know you can't really rely on any of that. You, you know you're throwing darts at a dartboard like hoping that you're going to come up with something if uh you know if you lose one of your big your big two guys so i I think it's hard um or you go for something like darius Baisley that's been floated around right that's a young backup five that you can try to mold into what you want but that's more of like a future move in my mind than immediate impact yeah he's more of a four than a five and, and but I get what you're saying. Um, he's a guy that you know maybe can play along Domas for a bunch of minutes. I, I like I like that idea though, the player archetype idea where you're bringing in a couple of guys and saying, okay, how does this look? And and like in the final 25 games of the season, if I'm looking over the bench and I've got Trey Lyles or some guy who hasn't played for me and who's only played in OKC and only played on ridiculously bad OKC teams. Um, I might not want to like turn to that guy either way. It might just be like looking and seeing what you have in practice. If you're looking at a guy like, uh, like Baisley, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned, uh, Nawara on the last pod as well. I think that's a similar idea, not the same player archetype, but when it comes to just getting a young guy, getting them in your system, seeing what you have, and then would you want to move forward from there? Yeah. You called your shot a couple of days ago. Um, not the best start to February, but Keegan certainly had a brilliant January. And you know, to just give that man the uh, Rookie of the Month award or honor or trophy or whatever it is now, uh, and he received that today alongside Paolo Bancaro. Uh, Keegan really had a tremendous uh, January. He he's he's something. He's he's a player, Brendan. Where. We were watching him play, and he had like he. I think he he set career high in rebounds on cons- in, in consecutive games. He had the twenty nine point night, and it's like, man, look at his growth within this one year. Like, what's what's Keegan gonna look like next year, and what's he gonna look like in 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 year number three? Uh, he has been better than advertised, uh, I think, this season, and that month of January uh, encapsulated it perfectly. Yeah, he was great in December, but I think it was in the style that we kind of all expected when he's talked about as a high floor player, expected to contribute fairly early in his career. January, there were flashes of like, okay, maybe this is different Mm -hmm. to your point. And I, I was somebody that admittedly put some of that low floor label on Keegan and the aggressiveness attacking the rim, I think was one of the biggest and like, I don't really care that he went 0 for 8 yesterday. He tried to poster somebody. Like, that in itself is such a good thing for Keegan. I loved seeing that. Um, and, you know, defensively, there's still progress to be made. We saw that moment with Coach Brown pointing something out to him in a timeout. Um, but when it comes to the finishing at the rim and the rebounding progress that we've seen from Keegan for him to average almost six rebounds in the month of January after really struggling to do that early in the year is huge. And, and coach Brown talked about, I, I wrote about Keegan recently 
And there are quotes in there of Coach Brown talking about like the pull-up game that Keegan has and how much faith he has in he, – he thinks he's going to be such a good pull-up shooter. And I think this is where the Chris Middleton comp comes back in that we've seen flashes of it in the game and clearly Coach has seen even more of it in practice. Like that handle is to me what's going to be the outlier of how good Keegan can be on the offensive end. Yeah, we're seeing him grow. Like to me, it's it's really fun to watch Keegan like explore who he can be as a player at the NBA level. Um, like early in his career, of course, he's going to be like more of a three point spot shooter. But as the season's progressing and we're watching this offense grow organically, it seems like there's only more and more opportunities for him to show what he can do. Um, you know, I, I think we're all like coming in. We're all like slightly concerned about his. Uh, his ceiling as a player and I know the Kings like scoff at that they, they think that he's got as high a ceiling as anyone else um, but I, I think it's interesting what we're seeing how he's progressed do you think as of right now like we're seeing that Paolo is way up here as far as statistically and Keegan is way down here um, but I go back to like the Grant Hill Jason Kidd year where um, they split the the rookie of the year trophy um down the middle they just used a saw and cut it in half um but like when you're looking at it is the the rookie of the year race over or do you think it's possible because keegan is playing on a on a really good team and playing re like meaningful minutes or paolo is playing on a bad team that you could see a way where a guy averaging 20 and a guy averaging maybe 12 or 13 actually split the vote i think you need to see that rebounding be a lot more consistent. Like if that, if that number wasn't so low at the beginning of the year, you're sitting at 4.5 right now. I know it's not super low, but like to your kid point, I think the rebounds and assists were there on top of the scoring um, and not quite there with Keegan. It, it's borderline impossible in my mind for him to catch Palo. And I think that speaks more to how great Palo has been as a rookie rather than trying to downplay Keegan or anything like that. But it, it seems like a pretty tough, race to catch up on when not only are you getting beaten points, you're getting beat in rebounding, you're getting beat in assists and the percentages from Palo aren't good, but they're not like disgusting to look at or anything. Yeah, no, it's not happening. Like Palo's <laughs> Palo's the truth. Like Palo's next. Like he, he is the absolute truth. He, he, he's winning rookie of the year. And I, I think there were some people who were trying to argue like, Oh, Keegan Murray isn't even going to finish second. I, I think he's going to. Um, it's probably down to him and Benedict Matherin. I've seen some ridiculous things. He said Keegan's the fifth or sixth best rookie, uh, which is just absurd. Um, oh no, if, that's wild. If yeah. he, if he's not second, he's 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 third. But I'm pretty confident uh, he's second. Brandon, you're number one, man. We appreciate you, <laughs> uh, Brandon Nunez, the Kings Pulse Podcast, the Kings Beat Podcast. Uh, we'll come back. Matt George going to join us in about thirty minutes, and I'm going to be honest. I'm really uncomfortable. Matt's tweeting. He's talking about Drake bars. I, I got a really bad feeling. Uh, but Matt Boy George day. coming up. <laughs> Matt George coming up in the three o'clock hour, uh, where we turn here with more Kings talk uh, on Sacramento Sports Leader ESPN thirteen twenty. D'Lo and Casey. D'Lo and Casey continues on ESPN thirteen twenty. But those just tuning in, De'Aaron Fox out for Friday's game against the Indiana Pacers for personal reasons. Uh, obviously, lots of speculation as to what that means. Uh, hopefully, it's something 
uh, very positive for De'Aaron Fox uh, and his family. And hopefully uh, De'Aaron Fox and his family have something else to celebrate uh, coming up about an hour from now uh, when the All-Star nominations, uh, the All-Star reserves, excuse me, uh, are announced. Um, and we'll bring those to you, by the way, on the live stream, youtube.com slash ESPN 1320 and twitch.tv slash ESPN 1320. We'll have those for you uh, live exclusively over there on the video stream. Big thanks to Olivia Christian for joining us here today and Brendan Nunez uh, as well. Brendan Nunez, one of the hardest working dudes here uh, in Kings Media. So always happy to be able to carve out a few minutes to hang out with him. Another hardworking dude, Matt George, going to join us in about 30 minutes, host of the Locked On Kings podcast. Of course, he's over at ABC 10. Uh, we'll talk about him. And, you know, speaking of uh, De'Aaron Fox, very different context to what we were just talking about with De'Aaron Fox with a potential baby watch and an all-star nod is, but it does speak to his game. It does speak to his evolution. He's stepped up defensively uh, recently, and he's a guy that, I mean, James, you, 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 I mean, you could speak to this far better than I can. I used to see Doug Christie every day. Uh, in our past life when when I worked somewhere else and Doug did something else for a living and he'd come in and he would just be adamant over and over and over again. De'Aaron Fox can be a great defender. De'Aaron Fox is a better defensive player than we see every night. Like He has the skill set to be a great defender. He had said for at least the season... De'Aaron Fox can be an all-defensive player. Like, he can be an all-NBA defensive team player. Uh, and now, I'm sure not coincidentally, with <laughs> Doug Christie on that coaching staff, we've started to, we, we've started to see that, really, uh, for the first time. And I love the way that he's played defensively uh, the last two games. I love the way that he's played defensively a lot. Like, he, he's had his moments as the entire team has had their moments this year on the defensive end. But I really love the evolution of De'Aaron Fox's game on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, he's getting better and better. Uh, is he a finished product? Absolutely not. Is he a great defender? I don't think he's a great defender, but he is a he's becoming a a better and better defender as we're watching him mature as a player. I think a lot of this really it does come down to the fact that he has Domas to carry like so much of the weight of this team it's really hard when you're the point guard and you're being asked to do this and this and this and you know oh and by the way we need you to run the team we need you to push the tempo we need you to score we need you to be our our assist man get everyone involved oh and by the way we need you to lock down one of the best players on the other opposition team uh because like every night in the in the nba if you're a point guard you're going up against a great player. There are very few teams in the league who don't have a really good point guard. And so for him, like having someone else who can take the ball up the court, somebody else who you can run the ball through for stretches that, you know, you got a bunch of shooters, but like how many different guys do we, do we talk about with this, the two man game with uh, Sabonis, like Herter's two man game with Sabonis is great. Monk's two man game with Sabonis is great. And what that does is every single time you're, allowing Fox to take a breather and take a step back you're you're letting him take a physical and mental break and really catch his breath uh and, and so I think that that's a really good thing that we're seeing him show more focus on that side especially late in games um you know he can't do it for he can't be your leading scorer and your best defensive player for 36 minutes a night that's just not the way it works 
Yeah, it's it, those those expectations are unrealistic. And you know, Kenny used to point out uh, pretty regularly. Kenny will be back with us on Monday. Kenny will point out that's often what the Kings have asked of him. They asked him to be the best on both sides of the ball, and that's just virtually impossible. And when you compared him uh, to other players, whether it be Trey Young or, or, or John Moran, whoever, none of them were ever asked to be the best defender on their team. Like De'Aaron was tasked to head up both sides of the floor. Which, as you noted, that's just not how it works. That's not how it works. That's just completely unrealistic to be able to give that level of energy on on each side of the ball. That's a great point that I didn't think about, uh, the fact that he has DeMontis Savonis now on the offensive end, and he can be kind of the center uh, of the Kings universe on, on offense, which allows him to be significantly more active on the defensive end. Or, as he likes to say, significantly more disruptive on the defensive end. <laughs> Yeah, and let's be honest, too. You brought up Trey, and they went out and got DeJounte Murray, who's a very good defender. You talk about uh, Jaw, and he's playing line alongside Desmond Bain, who's a solid defender, but also uh, Dylan Brooks, who's a very good defender. Like, they're playing with tough guys. Um, and that's not to say that, that Kevin Herter isn't a tough guy, but, um, like, Kevin Herter is a good defender. He's not a great defender. Lateral quickness and everything else. Like, so he's not the guy taking over like when Kevin Herter actually was asked to defend the toughest guy when he was in Atlanta, because Trey is just so bad defensively that you couldn't even try to put him on a guy like Fox or someone else. So, so Herter has that ability, but he's not as like physical and, and built like to play alongside Fox. So you're relying on Fox to take up a whole lot of the load as far as the defender. And when you go Fox and Monk, Monk's not a big guy either. Monk's not a great defender. He he can be disruptive, but is he going to be a lockdown guy? And that's why when you start hearing things about like guys like Matisse Thibel, Thibel can play the two and the three. But like if you have a night where someone's going crazy, like Anthony Edwards or name that guard that's gone nuts against the Kings, you can shift out a guy like that and go, hey, go stop him. Go slow him down. Go slow down a Luka Doncic at six foot seven, you know, because that's just something asking Fox to do that or asking Davion to do that. It's just a really tall task when you're looking at a guy who's just much bigger than they are. Is Malik the single most exhilarating member of the Sacramento Kings? Exhilarating. Like, he, when he has the ball in his hands, you're never quite sure. Like... He's not going to just make a chess pass. Like, he's no. going to find a really creative wall, uh, a really creative way to get the ball from point A to point B. And it's always one of those, oh, oh, he got it. All right. Like, he, he <laughs> he's exhilarating. Nerve-wracking, probably for Mike Brown and I that think, coaching like staff. I get where you're going. I'm still going to say it's Fox where you're like, I can't believe I just saw that. Like, I can't oh, believe sure. like he just like watched a ball roll to half court and sat there and like wait, wasted time. But like the shot clock's not going and then scooped up the ball and scored. And there's still 22 seconds left on the shot clock. And you're like, I like that was crazy how quickly he just got up and, and down the court. Now, again, like we've talked about it so many times, like how many times has Trey Lyles had like a really, really good offensive game, and he's he's outscored Monk, but all you remember is Monk, and you have no recollection of Trey Lyle scoring 16 points. Mm. It, it's just sort of the type of player that he is, the excitement, the flashiness that he brings to the court. 
um, that that attempted hammer that he you know tried to go over the top that was wild um and those are things those are things that you have to have though on occasion you know like it's that's that's what makes basketball fun it's the the crazy dunks the athleticism we're talking about you know relative giants that can do things on the court that are just stunning to watch and um so yeah i mean is he the most exciting player Uh, i'm still gonna go fox but he's really he's really fun to watch exhilarating exhilarating yeah he 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 he's he, he makes your heart beat fast i think there are a few things as fun uh more entertaining to watch on the sacramento kings team than when De'Aaron fox just decides he's going to accelerate we mentioned the play from minnesota where he was just bringing the ball up the floor and clearly he saw something where he was just like you know what they can't catch me yeah and as Mark Jones said, he popped the clutch and was throwing the ball down uh, before Minnesota even knew what happened. Yeah, I mean, that's that's who he has to be, though. I mean, like, I want more of those opportunities. And, you know, he's not the only one who, who scores in bunches in, like, one quarter. You know, even Jaw, like, there's plenty of times the Kings have played Jaw where he's good early on, but he's great late. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a trait of a good scorer, you know, or a great scorer that you need them in, in crunch time to show up and and put you over the top and win a game. But I also think that there's something too like, why do you got to leave some games in question? Like, go ahead and do your thing early in the game. And, and you know, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, you know, punish a team early that they can't keep up with you. And that's the only thing that I, I would say that, like, there are a couple of times where it's just like you you need that oomph that he has earlier in the game.